You are listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. So, Father, that's our, our prayer for our lives, that we would first of all acknowledge, we would recognize that everything that we need, everything that, um, that would make our lives uh, what you want them to be can only come from you. Uh, so, Father, we, we thank you for it, that you are that great provider. Above all, for your son, Jesus, for giving us salvation. Um, Father, I know that there are a number of, of people here today that um, today they, they come with just heavy hearts. There's been struggle and loss, and uh, God, I pray that, that they would find the ability to trust you even when it's really, really difficult. And so we ask your spirit to break through in that, grab a hold of hearts, and just remind people how much they are loved and cared for. Uh, Father, today we, we give you praise. We, we have to give you praise, Father, that we uh, this morning get to, uh, we get to gather together to sing at the top of our lungs that it doesn't matter if anybody hears. Father, that we get to preach uh, a message that uh, we hope uh, many will hear and that will impact because you move. But but God, we get to do all of this because we live in a country uh, that has given us that freedom to proclaim the name of Jesus, uh, not only in the walls of a building, but, uh, but outside as well. So we recognize that this week, God, that our, our independence as a nation, we thank you for those that have fought so hard for it over the history of our country to make sure that we can live in the freedoms uh, that, uh, that it provides, most importantly, uh, Father, the freedom to worship you. And yet we know that if that were to ever end, it wouldn't stop us. We would just proclaim it louder. We would, we would cry out for more people to get to know and know you. But we thank you for it. We praise you today for your word and what it is that it's going to teach us. So we sit here today, Father, and we just say, work. In our lives, may the words that I speak uh, be your words. May the Holy Spirit move in a mighty way. Thank you that your word is living and active. And so, Father, we open it up this morning to say, God, move. In your name, amen. You could have a seat. In um, medieval England, uh, buying and selling of goods was monitored and controlled by uh, by the government. Trade guilds then became, uh, were established to oversee each and every one of the trades uh, that would, the government would be able to have more control over. It all depended on whatever industry you were in. Uh, there were groups that gathered together uh, to, uh, to monitor how things were working. The, the guild that was developed for the buying and selling of baked goods was known as the Worshipful Company of Bakers. Right? To which we all say amen. Right? Um, I, but, but I think that there's a reason for that. We look through Scripture, spend any amount of time uh, looking at Scripture and wondering, if you ever wonder, uh, what did bread represent in the Bible? It is an endless list. God's gift, God's provision. Um, it means uh, hospitality for one another. It means uh, caring for each other. It means abundance. It and ultimately, Jesus Christ himself said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. 
It's this understanding that I, what, if, you, if you have me, if you accept me, I will give you everything that you need. I will sustain you uh, throughout life. You'll never hunger spiritually. You'll never thirst spiritually. You'll have actually everything that you need if you have the bread of life. <clears throat> well, late into the 13th century, um, the uh, Worshipful Company of Bakers, the, the, this guild, found that uh, depending on which baker you went to was the different size of a loaf of bread that you might get. And so people were getting upset that uh, they were being shorted on what they were paying for. And so King Henry, uh, he decided uh, that, that he would set some, some boundaries, some limits, some rules, and some laws on baked goods. And if you can imagine, this is how a king spent his time. Uh, but uh, he, he then said, here's what's going to happen. Uh, the price of baked goods needs to rise and fall equally with the rise and fall of the price of wheat. Plain and simple. And so uh, there was also uh, a, a rule, a law put on uh, the bakers that uh, they could only sell their baked goods by the pound, uh, not by the loaves, because every baker had a different size pan. And, and then he said... Anybody caught trying to basically steal from people or selling people short uh, will be flogged publicly uh, or you will pay an enormous fine or we'll take you out into the middle of the city and we'll put your, your head and your hands in, uh, in the stocks and, and people will walk around and shame you all day as you're kind of put on display as being the baker that uh, robbed everybody. So in order... Uh, to make sure that they weren't punished, in order to make sure that they pleased the king, what bakers were doing uh, was they would always take maybe uh, the ends of some loaves or they would take some uh, a little bit extra and they would toss it in the bag or however people got their baked goods. And if you ordered uh, a dozen of anything, you were going to get 13. And that's where the term baker's dozen comes from, is to make sure that that they didn't get in trouble uh, with the king. Our text today is going to talk a lot about bread. Uh, it, it finds uh, us and Jesus back uh, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee as we've been walking through and looking at the life of Jesus. Just to remind you, if you haven't been with us maybe uh, before, uh, if, this is, or if you're new here, we've got these Book of Matthew journals that are out at the info desk. Make sure that, that you grab one. It's basically the text that we're going to read today and then open page for notes. If you're a note taker, uh, it's a great thing because um, we, we're, we're looking at the book of Matthew and we're really under a microscope because there's purpose and there's reason. One, it's God's word. Uh, two, we're called to be imitators of Jesus. And the only way that we're going to be able to imitate and live like Jesus is we have to know how he lived. And so we are slowly, methodically studying his life. But at the same time, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. In other words, to take the message out. And Jesus was the best disciple maker that there ever was. And so we're also studying his life to know, so how does he want me to go out and to make an impact on the lives of others? So uh, pick one of these up, continue to dig through the book of Matthew, and I am trusting that the Lord is going to uh, just give you uh, the message that he's given me today. And so... May we all be open to it. But Jesus is now on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which we talked about last week is uh, 
it's considered to be pagan territory. In other words, people that didn't know God, they didn't follow after God. But Jesus went there, if you remember, because uh, when he went home, uh, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, didn't like him. They wanted him silenced. They wanted him dead. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to prove him as a liar. And so uh, he went away because he knew my time hasn't come yet. It's not my time to give my life up uh, for people. I still have work to do here, a message that needs to be, be proclaimed, disciples that need to be invested in, as we'll look at today. They still didn't get it. And, and so Jesus is on the east side where he feeds 4,000 people, 5,000 uh, Jewish people he fed earlier on, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now he feeds 4,000 uh, pagans on the east side, and they just can't get enough of him. They love him. He's healing, uh, doing miracles, but Jesus knows that his major work that he needs to do is going to be back home. So he gets in the boat, leaves the east side of the sea, goes back to his people where he's met on the shore. We talked about last week. He's met on the shore by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, the, the religious elite. Uh, they expected everybody to follow their interpretation of scriptures and, and their law and live like them. Uh, Jesus is confronted by them. They argue with him. They remember they, they want a, another miracle. We need a bigger miracle than we've ever seen before. And Jesus says, well, you're not going to get it. And so he gets in the boat and he sails back over to the east side of the lake into Gentile territory. And that leads us to our passage today, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, I want to read for you verses 5 uh, through 12. If you are willing and able, let's just stand together and uh, honor the reading of the word. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you don't have any bread? Do you not yet perceive? Perceive is another way of Jesus saying, when are you guys going to get it? Right? Um, so he goes on to say, do you not remember that the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's God's Word. You can have a seat. I've been uh, maybe a little bit too uh, stuck on and obsessed lately, unfortunately because there's a lot of them, of documentaries and podcasts on uh, the rise and fall of a lot of well-known churches in America that have almost fallen off the map for a number of, of different reasons. They, their focus got off. It became about people, right, instead of about God's kingdom. And not just the people that it focused on, but it really became about uh, the leaders, leadership of these churches, and it's, it's falling apart. And part of me watching them is just kind of like, you know, it's, you can't look away, right, from a car wreck type of thing. But at the same time, I, I watch these and just go, God, please, please show me if there's anything in this that, that's in my heart because I don't, I don't want it. Uh, the kingdom is, 
too important for it. But one of the things that, that makes me so sad in watching this are the stories of the people that have been affected by it. People that maybe came to Christ at the beginning of that ministry and now are, don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because of the way that the leadership had, had treated them. And uh, I, I, I heard one testimony, a man said, uh, you know, I, I got involved in this church and, and they just said Jesus is this free gift and I needed hope so badly. Then I got involved and then they just dumped on me all the things that I had to do. And he said, uh, he said then when the church fell apart, he said, I went from being a depressed, joyless Christian to now an incredibly happy atheist. Right? That's heartbreaking. If we don't if we don't understand God's Word clearly, if we don't preach and teach God's Word clearly, if we don't live it out clearly, then, then obviously destruction comes at the end. It's not just our souls, but the souls of the people that they were called to set an example for, that they were telling about how incredible Jesus is. And then do we actually live it out each and every day? So I want to just take a look at this text today, three things on how we can live, how we can live uh, according to what Jesus is teaching his disciples about the poor teaching of the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. The first is, is just to be aware. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. Watch and beware. In other words, just keep your eyes out. Understand that it's out there. That not everything you hear is going to be true, but you've got to Understand and know for yourself what is true so that you can easily sniff out what is false. So Jesus says, he uses an illustration, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We know from the end of the text that he's talking about their teaching, that their teaching is off. Leaven, is we've, we've looked at this a lot in recent weeks because um, Jesus has been focused on bread for a while, which I think is it's such a God thing that we're going to take the Lord's Supper at the end of this service as we are talking today about bread. But leaven is the, the rising agent that gets put into flour and water and salt mixed around and you, you drop leaven in there and all of a sudden a, a reaction takes place. Things start to grow and Jesus is saying, be careful of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because a little bit uh, can really impact you a lot. If you're not aware, it goes out and it can impact and really grow. Not just in your own life, but then as you go out and live, you might be preaching a false truth, a false gospel. In Matthew 13, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was like leaven, hidden in flour and permeated throughout all of the flour. That, he's speaking from a positive perspective there for us to understand. The kingdom of heaven is like, when you understand it, when you truly grab a hold of the gospel and you go out, even the smallest of actions and the smallest of words in a relationship can change your neighborhood, your city. Our prayer is that, that it would change the world through us. But from this perspective, after spending time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus just has to stop the disciples and say, guys, watch out. You really need to watch out for, for what it is that they are teaching um, because uh, it can lead to destruction. Be on your guard. It might have the appearance. They're great religious leaders, right? It might have the appearance of, of a good show and shine and look like something good, but, but the leaven that they have, Jesus says, will get into your life and it will be destructive. 
They're subtle, permeating, empty teaching that Jesus says in Luke 12, 1, he calls it what it is. He says it's hypocrisy. They, they teach something, but it doesn't have any heart. It doesn't stick. It's shallow. And they had the power to corrupt anything that was good. Beware of the teaching that looks good on the outside. It tickles the ears, but it will destroy your soul. Well, the Pharisees were legalists. What they did was they, they just they preached and taught and demanded of people an incredible level of obedience to every word of the law of God to such an extent that they wrote their own law on top of it that almost trumped uh, God's word. And so their expectation was, you all need to live into what we've said is right. The problem was, they weren't willing to live by it either. So Jesus says, you got to watch out for people that proclaim one thing, but they live a totally different way. They're weighing you down with all of these rules in order to get God to be happy with you. And that's not how it works. The, the Sadducees... Uh, came from really wealthy families, and they couldn't let that go. So their role was to make sure that they always stayed rich. And so they taught in such a way to demand of people that would keep them wealthy at all times and, and, and separate from everybody else. And Jesus just says, you got to watch out for the teaching that benefits the materialistic part of man and, and not the heart. Or spiritually. And Jesus says they're, they're hypocrites. They're like whitewashed tombs. They work really hard to look good on the outside. But on the inside, he says, they are dead bones and darkness. So watch and beware. Recognize that which is not of the truth of God and his word and, and run from it. Because look at what their lives had come to. If they were true religious leaders of the day, that really knew their scriptures the way that they claimed, they would have had just a, a moment with Jesus and said, this is the Savior of the world. But instead, what did they, they were dedicated. They spent all of their time over and over and over again, let's get this guy, let's prove that he's a liar, and we need to kill him. Now, we know that ultimately that's a part of God's sovereign plan. But Jesus says, you got to watch out. For those that can so easily lead you astray, it's like leaven in bread. You barely see it, but the next thing you know, you've grown into something that, that you're not supposed to be. They had now made destruction and hate the central focus of all that they were doing. Galatians 5.9, Paul uh, writes to the church and he gets on them because they are arguing and actually bending their belief system uh, to kind of a, a Jesus and. In other words, that salvation comes uh, to you from Jesus and. And in, in this case, it was, it was circumcision. And, and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's Jesus alone, by God's grace, faith in Christ that, that you have salvation. It's by nothing else. And he, Paul says, he says, who hindered you? Who got in your way? Who told you that, that you should live otherwise? Because it's only through grace that you gain righteousness. And then Paul says, he says, beware, because a little leaven will, will work a long way into a batch of dough. 
So be aware that, that even though there are things that are out there that look like religion, it doesn't mean it's right and you let a little of the wrong thing in without understanding what the truth really is and it permeates through not just your life, but as, as we read through the New Testament, it's about us. It's about a community of believers. And when some let something in that's not of God, it, it can so easily move throughout the community. So we need to just watch and beware. Take everything that we hear, that we learn, and we take it to Scripture. And we say, is this true? The best way to do that is to know Scripture yourself. And then we're supposed to live on purpose. The disciples, there's this humorous moment, right? We don't always see the Bible as funny, but the disciples, I mean, good grief. Here they are. Remember what has taken place. They, Jesus fed the 5,000 not that long ago. Jesus said you had 12 baskets of food left over. Then he feeds 4,000 people. Seven baskets left over. I talked about it last week. The baskets that the word basket that's used in the feeding of the 5,000 is one that one person could carry. The seven baskets left over in the feeding of the 5,000, the word basket is described is a basket that one man could get into. It was that big. That's how much was left over. And they're sailing back over across, and, and Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're like, Oh man, we, we, forgot, we forgot bread. Man, who took, who took bread from the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Because they were sailing into Gentile territory. And we've talked about this, but pagan territory is considered to be unclean to God's people. And so you would definitely want, if you know you were going there, you would pack some food, pack some bread, so that we don't eat the, the unclean food of these non-believers. And Jesus said, watch out. For the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the disciples think, hey, who took bread from the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Right? We, we, we're not supposed, Jesus is saying we're not supposed to eat their bread that even they touch. We're not supposed to eat the bread that, of the Gentiles, which Jesus actually told them wasn't true. Uh, a few weeks ago we took a look at that, but now they're saying, now we're not even supposed to eat the bread that comes from the religious leaders? And, and who brought bread from all that's taken place over the last couple of weeks. None of us, right? So there's this discussion that is going on about forgetting bread or who took bread, and Jesus just puts his head in his hands, and, and he knows what's going on. He knows what they're thinking, Matthew says, that they really are actually thinking about bread. Their, their, their response, innocent, yes, maybe, ignorant, absolutely, but it was a discussion about something physical. And they're kind of like, Jesus, we didn't, nobody did. We, none of us took this from them. And, and Jesus knows that they don't get it, and so he has to explain it. But I just think it's so much, I see me, I see me and the disciples, unfortunately, more in the, the negative situations than I do in the positive so often. Jesus is saying, I want you to focus on something big, on the spiritual aspect that I'm trying to teach you, and every time that I try to talk to you about spiritual things, you go to the physical things. Jesus says, beware. Like, this is a great lesson. They're probably sailing across. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's a great example. I'm going to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he goes, guys, got a great message for you. Beware of, of 
as Matthew says, it means the teaching, but beware of the leaven. This will make sense, and they don't get it at all. They just think that, it, that it's about physical bread and about something material, but I'm the same way. I will often read Scripture from a material standpoint, right? Don't we do that? What's this going to get me? Or, or, or what do I need to get rid of? And Jesus says, look, for my disciples, I want you to think on a higher plane. I want you to understand that every time that I tell you something, I'm helping you spiritually, not materially, not physically. You fill in and you grow in me spiritually and these other things you don't have to worry about because they're not going to be that big of a deal. And I'll give you what it is that you actually need. In his parable of the sower, chapter 13, verse 22, uh, Jesus says, As for the seed that's sown among the thorns, this is the one that hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lie of riches chokes it out, and you prove yourself unfruitful. Now, again, there's nothing in Scripture that ever says having things, right? That material things are are bad. It's when we fall in love with them. It's when our focus is on that above what it is that he's trying to tell us and in our relationship with him. And that's the frustration that Jesus has with his disciples. I'm trying to talk to you about spiritual things and have we not been together long enough for you to understand that every time I speak that, that you should grab a hold and just be ready for, for some great spiritual truths about how you could live your lives. One of the great weaknesses of faith, Robert Lenski, great commentator, says one of the great weaknesses of our faith is the slowness, dullness, and ignorance of our mind. Right? One of the, the greatest hindrances to us growing as disciples is just our, our unawareness that God is trying to grow us every day through every situation. Through everything that we learn, every discussion that we have, every conversation, every person he puts us into contact with is an opportunity to grow spiritually just a little bit more. Paul says in Romans 12, chapter 2, that this new life that we have in Jesus means that we've got to now transform our minds to the will of God. In other words, that's that's now what happens upon salvation. We're no longer me-focused or world-focused. Now we're on kingdom mindset in all that we do. And we've got to retrain our brains to not be centered on us as individuals, but on God's, God's kingdom. So don't conform, Paul says, to the patterns of this world. But it starts with a new way of thinking, filling your mind with God's truth, and then desiring to live into it. And so Jesus says... Man, do you guys not get this yet? I'm not talking about bread. Forget about the bread. Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? Can you not exercise your minds in the least to think beyond a loaf of bread? The goal of a disciple is to grow. Jesus is going to be empowering and he's going to be placing full responsibility on this small group of men to take this message out into the entire world. And it's, it's somewhat of an encouragement to me as well as it's a frustration when I, when I read about the disciples because I think about a discipling relationship and we would think that a discipling relationship would be I'm in a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and, and I introduce and then we just, man, it just gets better and better every day. But if you've ever been in a discipling relationship, 
I have been in both a disciple and a discipling relationship, and it looks more like this, right? It's, it's yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, and then, oh, man, uh, how did you not get it? And it just rides up and down like that. So there's a bit of encouragement as Jesus is scolding the disciples just for me in my own life, but it's, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're called to be on a continual pattern of, of growth. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm trying to teach you something bigger because there's something bigger that's happening here. Think about how you're going to grow and not be hindered, not let anything lead you astray. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but in Matthew 16, 23, we need to set our minds on the things of God, not on the things of man, the things that we would typically normally want to focus on, not as a follower of Jesus. We've got to set our sights so much higher. Don't sell yourself short. I thought today would be a really good day of a really quick reminder of this pattern of discipleship that Jesus followed. And so uh, it's, it's not a program. It's just a, as we look at the life of Jesus, there's a good way to understand our own spiritual growth and these four stages and the way that Jesus discipled uh, his 12. And so we call it the four chairs. Uh, and uh, the first chair is that of a seeker, right? So you if you want to know, how do I disciple somebody? It starts just like it did with Jesus' disciples. Before they even knew him, they, they heard about who he was. And we read about Andrew going to his brother Peter, their fisherman, and he says, hey, I think we found the Messiah. Right? I mean, that, that's where it started. I think we found a guy who he claims to be the Messiah. John the Baptist says that he is. I think we found him. You should come and see. That's the first step, is inviting somebody to just experience Jesus. And then when they realize it for themselves, they make a decision, right? Repentance of, of the past life and of sins and following self, and then following after Jesus, and that puts us in this category that we would say is a believer. That's where the disciples were early on in their ministry. Just follow Jesus around, learn from Him, try to be like Him, and then hit a point where Jesus then said, now I'm, now I'm going to send you out. Now, now I want you to go and to serve me. He broke them up, sent them out two by two, out into the, the villages and the towns, and, and said, go and, and proclaim the good news and heal the sick. I'm giving you what you need. And they became workers. And then finally, the ministry was given to them where they then, uh, as Jesus multiplied himself into their lives, then they're called to multiply themselves into the lives of others. That's just this, it's the pattern that we see. The unfortunate thing is that most Christians are stuck in chair two. We, we, and, we, and we think that that's, a, that's where we're supposed to be. That, that we just, if, as long as I'm just taking in knowledge constantly, as long as I'm always doing something that looks like uh, spiritual growth, uh, I'm good. But there has to be a transition to the point where you say, now I'm going to go out. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. I'm going to go and bear fruit, bear much fruit. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to share the gospel with the world. And Jesus is telling his disciples, the only way I can get you to that point where you can go and do that is you've got to beware of the teaching that's there that can throw you off track. So live on purpose. Strive to move to that point of, of chair four where 
where it's not about you at all. It's about what are you investing in the life of somebody else, the gospel invested into somebody so that they then go and make disciples. We say it often, a disciple is not a disciple unless they are a disciple maker because that's what disciples do. Finally, we've got to live with confidence. So Jesus says to the disciples, O you of little faith. He says that to them often. Um, Matthew uh, uses the, the Greek word oleogopistos, right? I don't even know it. Um, but it means you who trust too little. Helps us to understand that statement of O you of little faith. O you who trust too little. Or O you who are not applying to your heart and your mind the things that you have been taught. It's just been in, and it hasn't gone out into practice. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, you're talking about bread when I'm not talking about bread. And even if we were talking about bread, Jesus then says, do you not remember when I fed the 5,000 in the baskets that you carried after, and I fed the 4,000 in the baskets that you carried after, where's the bread? Where's the leftovers? He says, actually, that wasn't about that at all. That was a whole lesson. Yes, it was to feed the people because, remember, Jesus' heart went out to the people because they were hungry. But ultimately, he's saying in this text, that whole thing was a lesson for you to know that I will always give you more than you think you need. I'm the great provider. So why are you even talking about not bringing bread? Because haven't you seen and experienced and known already that every time that, that we are around people who need something, I give it. So when are you going to trust me that, that I will always provide for you? You're thinking earthly things. That's low-hanging fruit for me, right? I can, I can give you anything that you want in this world, but I'm going to give you what I believe that you need that could be used for God's glory and God's kingdom, and it's not going to hinder you and throw you off track. But I will always give you what it is that you need. Bread should be on the last thing on your minds. Ultimately, what Jesus is addressing is that human-centeredness from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and now he's reprimanding the disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who only think man-centered. You need to think God-centered in all that you do. Philippians 4 19 says, My God will supply every need that you have according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Everything that you need. What is it that you need right now? And then what you do is you lay that at the foot of, of Jesus and you just say, This is what I this is what I think I need. Can you can you show me uh, what's in there that I don't? So that I can stop worrying about it and focus on it? And then, then I can make space for you to actually give me what it is that I really, truly need. So Jesus says, you don't have to worry because I will always give you enough for you to, to live this life that I've called you to live. And then the second thing I think that he's teaching his disciples is you also don't have to worry that you'll never be enough because I've given you all of me. That's where your identity lies. That's, that's the confidence that you're going to have as you go out into this world and, and fulfill the mission that I have given you. 
yeah, you guys blow it all the time, right? Yeah, you say the wrong things once in a while. You think the wrong things. You don't think higher. You can imagine being the disciples in the boat and just kind of punching each other. And like, man, why did you have to bring up the bread? That's not what he was talking about. And, and like, it, you know, and, and blame, and we're never going to get good at this. We're never going to be the people that he wants us to be. And, and yet they were. They learned. They learned from their mistakes. They learned from uh, how Jesus lived. They learned from his teaching, and they embraced it. And yeah, they stumbled once in a while, but Jesus still had full confidence that they were enough because he said, I will give you my spirit. I will empower you to do what it is that you need. You, you might not think today that, that you're enough. Maybe you came, maybe you've lived under some type of a, of a belief system that, that has told you that, that you are not enough for God. And, and that you've got to try to achieve all of these things in order for God to finally take notice of you. Because you're not as good as the people around you and all of that. And that's, that's all unbiblical. That's all lies. First of all, I'll tell you this. None of us are enough for God. He's God, and He's perfect, He's holy, and we're not. But He says, but through, through my Son, who I send to this earth, who will give up His life for you as a sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, you are in Christ Jesus who became for you the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You are enough because Jesus made you enough through His life that He gave up. Believe it. And then we get to live into it. Our, our belief system will always impact our actions. We, we, we see that in the lives of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and we can even say it for ourselves. What you believe in is how you will act. So Jesus says, beware of the stuff that's not true so that you don't end up living a false lie in your life. Romans 3 says, every one of us is guilty of sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're all, we're, we all sell ourselves short without Christ, thinking that this world is what life is all about, running after it, chasing after it. And it goes against what God's plan is for us, so we, we fall short of God's glory, but we sell ourselves short when we have a passion to focus on the things of this world, to make ourselves the center of it. Tell you what, if I'm the center of this universe, this universe is really small and highly dysfunctional in so many ways. But Jesus, our King, has come into this world. He left the glory of heaven because of, because of our sinfulness, because of myself selling myself or God short, the king had to come and, and take the public flogging, take the shame in the middle of the courtyard with his hands locked up. And he had to pay the ultimate price for what it is that I've done. And he gives us through it more than we deserve. He gives us life and life abundant. Jesus gave all of himself so that we would be brought into a relationship with God, that we would avoid the punishment that, that we deserved, 
so that we could have the power to, to live a life and through Jesus that we can actually please the King. Let's pray. Father, this morning we give you praise, glory. We give you thanks for loving us, for, as Scripture says, your long-suffering, your incredible patience with, um, with us. We desire deeply, God, I know that, that everybody here desires deeply to want to do what it is that you've called us to do, and yet we're so often pulled in so many different directions. So my prayer, Father, this morning is that you would just make us aware that there is so much in the world that wants to pull us away. May we not focus on that, but may we just keep our eyes on you. We give you praise. Amen.